0: What a joy it is to walk with our Savior and to know him day by day. As we turn our thoughts and minds to communion, the Lord's table and giving of thanks, I'd like for us to take a moment and follow up on a scripture we touched upon this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, B and 4. I hope you know it by memory. Christ died. For our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. I rejoice in my Savior, the one who died for me. And this is a time that as Christians, believers, we have set aside to remember and to give thanks. And as we've been meditating this past week and today upon the scriptures, I also rejoice that I have them. For we learn of the gospel according to the scriptures. And how precious it is that God has revealed to us not only events of history, of spiritual things we could not discern or know apart from his revelation, But it is ultimately, through his word, the inspired scriptures, that we learn of the gospel to our salvation. And so, as we give thanks today for our Savior, the one who died, was buried, and rose again, let us also give thanks, for it is according to the scriptures. Which also leads me to another passage we touched upon this morning over in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 tells us of that whosoever believeth on the name of the Lord or whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it speaks of believing on him. And it speaks of the fact that so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. Verse 16, as I've meditated upon it this week, has has been a mixture of emotion. For the verse that comes right before that incredible declaration and admonition that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, there's also a disturbing and troubling declaration made. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Today we gather to rejoice and to give thanks for the gospel, for Jesus Christ, for the good news. And how tragic, how tragic it is that not all have obeyed the gospel. Which then leads to this quote, for as Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? That's a quote from a very famous prophecy in the Old Testament. Would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53? The very first words of this chapter are this question. Who hath believed our report? You see, we have learned that the gospel is declared that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Do you know what scriptures those were in the days when Paul wrote that? It wasn't actually as we might think. When we think of that, we think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Perhaps other epistles that recount for us the historical fact of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. But for many in that day, it was still yet passages such as this, Isaiah 53. For Isaiah prophesied that there was one coming. He prophesied of the servant, the servant that would be rejected. And Jesus perfectly fulfilled these prophecies. And it is so sad when that question is asked, who hath believed our report? I'd like to encourage you this afternoon in in two things. One, rejoice. Rejoice in the gospel as it has been revealed to you and as you have received it and as you have believed it, and give thanks. But I also admonish you to renew your passion for sharing this, good news. this is a time for us as believers, for Christians to partake of the bread to remember Christ's broken body, for us to partake of the cup, the juice to remember his shed blood for us. It's a special time only for Christians. And how tragic it is for how many who have not obeyed the gospel ought not to and cannot participate as we participate in this time. And so as we participate in this in a sense, may I say this as an exclusive group and as we give thanks let it motivate us to be passionate to go forth as Romans spoke of the beautiful feet to preach the word. And you may ask the question as Isaiah asked it And as Paul quoted it, who hath believed our report? Don't be discouraged in those days when you may share the gospel and know how exciting it is. And there are some who will not believe. And they will not obey the gospel. Our hearts, rightly so, should hurt, should be moved with compassion, But it's also something in which we ought not to be discouraged. Because it has been a problem with mankind from the days of the very beginning. I think it's intriguing of how Paul in Romans, and he quotes Isaiah, then goes on to say that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In our course this fall in the School of Theology of Apologetics, the primary truth of that course is that it is not us seeking to, in our brilliance or education or in philosophy, to convince people of the truth of the Bible or of the gospel, but to fully and wholly and completely depend upon the authority and power of the living Word of God and the Holy Spirit to do a work in the hearts of men. And it does hurt sometimes when we ask the question, who hath believed our report? I think of an experience once I had where a woman asked me if I would come and share the gospel with her brother. She had spent her entire life praying that her brother would believe her report of what the scriptures said. And so I went and I met with her brother, and I shared the gospel, really, simply from the word of God. And when I finished sharing the gospel with him, he looked at me and he says, you are a great salesman. He says, if, if, if you'd take the job, I'd hire you to work for me. And then he said, but I've got a hard head. And that was his response to the gospel. A few weeks later, I saw that man again but this time he lay lifeless in a coffin. And I have no idea how that living word worked in his life in those few weeks or the Holy Spirit worked in his life. But I remember standing there with his sister and they crying over him and this scripture came to mind, who hath believed our report? for not all have obeyed the gospel. And again, it motivates me to keep on keeping on, to keep on sharing the truth, sharing the gospel, sharing God's precious word. For we gather together here in this special time because we have believed the report. And we have found in reality the preciousness of Jesus' sacrifice. And so this afternoon, we give thanks. And we give thanks that according to the Scripture, the inspired Word of God, we know for a fact that whosoever believeth in his heart and calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we rejoice in our salvation this afternoon. And as we give thanks and remember what Jesus has done, let us be motivated to go forth and to proclaim the gospel. I'd like for us as we consider this to just read through Isaiah 53 and these prophecies. These prophecies of Jesus that speak of his death. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm, the strength of the Lord revealed? For he, this is the suffering servant, a mention of Jesus, shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there there is no beauty that we should desire him. When the eternal Son of God came and was made flesh, he wouldn't have been categorized as one of the handsome ones. He was despised and rejected of men. Jesus came to his own, but his own received him not. He was a man of sorrows, for he bore the sorrows of all mankind upon himself. And is acquainted with grief, so agonizing that in the garden he sweat drops as blood. And we hid as it were our faces from him, he was despised and we esteemed him not. A description of where all of us once were, all of us before we believed the gospel, before we obeyed the gospel. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is no greater love than that a man lay down his life for his friends. And though people, we, at one time, did not esteem him or consider him. We considered him, in in a sense, if we considered it from an unsaved perspective, one who was afflicted and stricken, we did not see him for what he was coming for. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He was made sin for us, though he knew no sin. He died for my sins. Here you see, according to the scriptures. And the last phrase of verse 5, and with his stripes we are healed. We deserve everlasting judgment in the lake of fire. We deserve to be nailed to a cross and crucified, for we are all sinners. But he bore that for us, and it's because of his stripes, his scourging, that we are healed. In my Bible, I just glance right across to the column before, back in chapter 52 and verse 14, where it speaks of many were astonished at him, for his visage, his body, his appearance, what he looked like, was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. These stripes were not just little stripes of red marks across his back. By the time the scourging and the torturing of Christ came, he was unrecognizable according to prophecy in the whole form of a human being. He hung in ribbons of flesh. And we know from historical record of how the Romans scourged that this was so to be. And yet this prophecy made hundreds of years before that form of torture was even invented. Those were the stripes. Those were the stripes that he bore, that I deserved, that you deserved, by which we are healed. His shed blood. Verse 6 continues back to who we are without him. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all, that which is sinful and evil and wrong in the sight of God. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, He did not respond in railings nor cursings. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And if we study the things he did open his mouth in that time, we are overwhelmed at his love. For we find declarations of forgiveness, of care, and a victory over death and sin. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. It was our sins that led him there. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. He was crucified between two thieves, and he was buried in a rich man's tomb wherein never a man was laid. as he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. He was still killed among the wicked, executed, yet he was one who had done no violence, and in fact, not just had never done any violence, he had never even spoken an unkind word. That's actually quite incredible. I'm amazed, and I won't pick on any kids, so I'll just pick on myself. When I think back to being a little kid, you know, you'd get those times where somebody pushed your button wrong and you strike out. You realize Jesus never even did that, even from a toddler? He never responded with a vindictive, hateful comment, even from the toddler. He showed kindness, he had no sin. There was no words of deceit, nor was there any ever in all his life, any violence. Yet he was killed and and executed among the wicked. For it says in verse 10, after declaring his innocency, his sinlessness, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. His death was an offering. It was a sacrifice. He laid down his life as a sacrifice for me, for you. That's what we give thanks for this afternoon. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And you might say, huh? I thought he just was offered as a sacrifice. Why, dear brethren, this is a declaration of the resurrection. We are his seed. We as believers are the ones whom he sees, for he is alive. And The pleasure of the Lord prospers in his hand. For here he is described as the suffering, suffering servant. He is one who will come as the prosperous king, because he's alive. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He's the one by his death and by his resurrection who will have the power and the authority to justify the ungodly. Us who are ungodly, us who are sinners, us who are like sheep who have gone astray, us who are full of iniquities. He, because of his sacrifice, has the power and authority to justify many. Therefore, why I would divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Oh, there's a lot in that verse. So much there. But the gist of it is, again, yet repeating what's come. The one who has suffered, he did so for us. And in the end of it all, he rose from the dead, and he is the victor. And so today, we remember that Christ died for us according to the scriptures. And this is just one of many Old Testament scriptures that speak of the Lord Jesus. And here again, we see even the little glimpses in Isaiah, and Isaiah is filled with the portion of this suffering servant who's to come. Oh, the glory of the fact that he's coming back. And so we rejoice in this. If we go to 1 Corinthians, where we are given and admonished, given more specific instruction following up of the Gospels when Jesus instituted this special time for his believers, it speaks of the fact that we do this till he come. This is a time when we look back, and we give thanks for what he did according to the scriptures. And according to the scriptures, we look forward to the day when he is coming back. And it is a time of thanksgiving for the past. And it is a time of thanksgiving and praise for the future. Encompassing the past, the present, and the future. Let us rejoice this afternoon in our Savior. And what he has done for us according to the scriptures. And may we be motivated to go forth to share with the world that Jesus has paid it all. Jesus paid all that is needed to be paid for us all, us all, to have our sins forgiven and have life everlasting. As the deacons prepare to come, would you turn with me in your hymnals to hymn number 185, Jesus paid it all as we celebrate is a great sacrifice for us.